and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we actually have one of those individuals whose name you may not know, but she is, to the, uh, those of us in politics, a household name, someone who works behind the scenes to get things done and help money flow to candidates. So we can talk about that and help understand it. I have none other than Wendy Wallace. What's going on? How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing really well. You don't look stressed or anything. It must not be it must not be money gathering season. I thought it was. They calling me and texting me, but it must not be. It is always money gathering season. You know the deal. In politics, it's always time to get that money. Always. Look, we start each one of our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers and yours has been politics, nonprofit leadership. Uh, in the interesting world of PACs and campaign finance, walk us through your various career stops. And why did you choose the work that you do now with the DGA? Or for those that don't know, the Democratic Governors Association. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so I will just say um, I am very fortunate to have had a breadth of experience. I I spent most of the time in the early years trying to avoid doing exactly what I'm doing now, um, which uh, will let you know how how God will move in mysterious ways to get you exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, so I started out, let's see, I graduated from Miami of Ohio in 2004, right into what it turns out would be my first of many recessions. Um, and so I was trying to get a job. I learned all about the mortgage industry, which um, led me to working in that for a hot second into my second of many recessions. Um, and then I landed in D.C. in the fall of 2007, just in time to catch the tail end of um, the Bush administration as things were heating up uh, for Obama and the primaries. And um, from there, it was sort of off to the races. I got my first uh, real taste of DC life and like working on the Hill, although I wasn't in a Hill office, I was in a like ragtag coalition um, effort on the Dodd-Frank bill. So I learned all about whip counts. I was in charge of our whip counts and did, um, so all the lobbyists would report to me and I would put it in a report. And at 5 p.m. every day, mm. we would have this enormous call where everyone would go through what happened in their meetings and like, what was in my report? It was crazy. Um, so that bill, uh, passed, obviously, thankfully, um, we had a little party, the president signed it. I got to go to that. Um, and that was wild. And then I was like, okay, it's time for my next thing. What should I do? Um, and a friend of mine who was my supervisor on that job then said, Hey, they're looking for somebody at this group called the democracy Alliance. And, um, they need, like the president needs a new assistant basically. And I was like, I don't know if I want to take an assistant job. I'm like really trying to get out of that. Um, but I went, it was, it was a turning point in my career. It introduced me to basically everyone that I know now, um, with some exceptions. I think, um, I learned a lot about how the donor world functions. I learned a lot about the progressive landscape of organizations. Um, and it was really foundational for me. I was there for three and a half years and then it was time to once again, make a change. Um, and that was when I 
went to Planned Parenthood and became their federal PAC manager, mm. which was another new um, and eye-opening experience because I was now in a position where I was like recommending who should and should not get endorsements at the federal level, who was getting PAC checks, all of that. Um, and I- I'm sure we can talk about this more later, but you know, the PAC world is a, a whole different ball game altogether. There are not a lot of people who look like us when you go into those rooms. And and so I made it my business to know everyone who looked even remotely like me. (laughs) Um, And that really, that was sort of like when things started to take off. And then um, I stayed, so that was in 2014. I stayed at Planned Parenthood through the uh, 2016 presidential cycle, which was its own uh, wild ride and through the 2018 midterms. But by then my role was expanding and I was taking on um, a little bit more work with uh, party committees and and things like that. And that led me into some work with uh, the Democratic Attorney General's Association and the Democratic Governor's Association, um, both organizations that do amazing work. And um, then that ultimately led to me interviewing for and becoming the deputy executive director at the DGA, which is where I'm now. You've been everywhere doing everything. So for my listeners who may have never heard of the DGA, can I don't know who that would be, but they may not know what they do. Can you explain what it is, what you do and why your organization is necessary? Of course. Um, so even for your listeners who have heard, the DGA, in my opinion, is ever evolving. I think, um, you know, in the early in our history, we were kind of like a bank, you know, people put deposit money in and the money got spent on races. Um, and that was the primary function. Over the past, I would say like 10, 12 years, the organization has truly become like a professionalized campaign committee. Um, we are the only committee that is focused solely on electing governors um, on the Democratic side. And now over my tenure and our senior leadership team, which has been in place since 2019, um, we have really tried to grow that presence beyond just campaigns. Um, so I, I started in February of 2019 and, and joined the team. And at that point, we were, it's funny to sort of look back on it now, but we were really uh, focused on building relationships with the amazing um, class of governors that won in 2018 and saying like, this is your team. We are going to be here for you all four years. We are focused on your reelection from day one. Um, and we really set about trying to be as supportive as we could during their governing years so that we knew, like, what are you running on when you uh, get into your election year? Obviously, we have elections, or maybe not obviously, we have elections every single year. So we had elections in 2019, 2020, 2021. People forget about that. They think it's every two or every four years, but not. We yeah. just elected governors in, in Louisiana and, uh, and, and New Jersey. We also had Kentucky in 2019. So yeah, it's a lot to be kind of juggling all at once. But um, so we were trying to do all of that. And then, you know, when the pandemic hit, it was like game on for us. And we really tried to, and I think we succeeded in this, be as helpful as possible to our governors who were just swamped. Anything we could streamline coming into their offices 
Um, people were offering support, you know, all kinds of different things, companies launched into action, all of that. Um, and so we really did our best to kind of be a, a conduit for that information so that they weren't being overwhelmed, but we're still getting the info that they needed. So we try to do a little bit of everything. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Let me ask you this. You've, you've done the rounds in, in Washington with the Democratic committees and through your ca campaign finance work, like groups like the DCCC, the DSCC, the DGA, the Democratic Attorney General Association. And so on. one of the questions that I actually have that, that I don't know the answer to is, can you explain how these groups work and do they work together at all? Because I feel like the cause is the same. So do you guys ever just like have a meeting where like this week is the D trips turn to buy drinks? Like, and we just going to talk about it. Like, how does that, how does that work? Um, so that's a, <laughs> that is an interesting question. I think the answer is mostly yes. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I think, so it's a little interesting cause there is like a little bit of a divide in the way that we function. The federal committees are, they have their set of rules. The state level committees have a different set of rules. Um, but one of the things that has been great during my experience is like, I, I had relationships with federal level folks. A lot of them are either still in committees or back in committees. Um, and so we have been able to really um, do those have those conversations. We're working together on projects. Um, we were working with the DTRIP and the DNC and the um, DSCC on some voter registration stuff um, that started last year. Um, we, we do have a, actually, interestingly, we do have a meeting that, or a dinner that we do once a month on the state level side. Um, that I, we're actually in the process of scheduling for April right now, where it'll be like, okay, this, this time the DGA is going to pick up the check. Like we're going to, um, have some conversations and really talk about like how priorities are shaping up and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think we do a good job, um, of working together and really trying to share information. We, we also have overlap of where our races are like this year we're doing, um, gubernatorial races in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, places that overlap with Senate races. It overlaps with some of the House priorities. So we do try to work together on that. Let's talk about Democratic governors for a second. What were the lessons from the McAuliffe and Murphy races in Virginia, New Jersey in 2021? And how is that informing the DGA's work in 2022? Um, yeah, that, those were, uh, those were hard races. I think, um, so a couple of things, one is we were fighting historical trends in, in both of those. And I think 
that can't be understated and will play a huge role in 2022. You know, Governor Murphy is the first Democratic governor to get reelected in the state of New Jersey in like 44 years. Um, so that was a lot. And, and we saw, you know, some incumbent backlash. I think the timing of when those races were happening also played a role. And I think everyone's favorite thing to think to talk about in Virginia is how education played a role and like what that means about CRT. I think we are still, you know, we're still digging into a lot of that, but a few things are, are for certain. One, parents are frustrated and it has been a long pandemic for everyone, but specifically for parents. And we have to we have to be sensitive to that and and talk to them and, and hear what they need. That being said, I think for us with so many incumbents that we're trying to protect, like the Democrats are still the party of education. Like we are still the people who support teachers, support teacher pay raises. A lot of these ARP funds are going to, um, you know, helping re revamp schools, make sure they have the proper ventilation, all of those things. Um, and so we still feel like education is a winning issue for us. And we just have to get out there and be able to talk about, you know, what we have done, what our governors have done, and also give people a reason to vote for you, not just say that the other guy is terrible. I mean, we like also have to listen. I mean, what you, you mentioned yeah. teachers. Yeah, we are the we are the party of teachers, but we also have to be the party of parents, too, because parental exhaustion is real out here. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad schools are open for my twins. Um, let me let me ask you this question. I want to go down a, a list and I'm watching a lot of races, as I'm sure you are. I just want to know your elevator pitch on how you see the race and what's at stake and why that matters. So I'll start with Michigan. How concerned should we be about Gretchen Whitmer? We should be concerned. And I won't say like, you know, I think the governor has done a great job. She is fulfilling campaign promises. She is fixing roads. She is doing everything she can to keep Michiganders safe. Um, But Michigan is hard and it would be hard in any scenario. I think um, going into 22, she is up against a lot. Obviously, the sentiment on the ground is... um, I don't know how to put this delicately, but it's tumultuous at best. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously there were threats against her and her life, her staff, like all the people around her. So I mean, they threatened to kidnap and kill her and like have an extrajudicial trial. So, I mean, this is a real thing. Yeah. And that that sentiment is still around in Michigan. Right. Like that didn't just go away because of FBI investigation. So I think and as for what's at stake, um, everything that we care about, access to the ballot, um, access to reproductive rights, like all of these things are front and center. And those are the decisions that Michiganders are going to have to make one way or the other i said elevator pitch when i got a lot to go yeah, through sorry. i said elevator pitch you out here <laughs> acting like you on tv no nah, i'm just messing. georgia can stacy get it done this time i believe she can is that my is i mean that i was like you okay two sentences like i believe she can because like listen listen uh, brian kemp is the most vulnerable governor who is up for re-election on either side of the aisle He is, uh, you know, up against a lot in the Republican Party. He has got a primary against him. Donald Trump is going 
um, there to campaign for Purdue. Like it is serious in Georgia, not to mention that Stacey has spent her, her four years since the last race helping Georgians, paying off people's medical bills, registering people to vote. She lost by like 50 something thousand votes last time. They've registered 1.3 million people. Like, yes, I believe she'll be able to get it done. Good answer. Florida, what can we do to get DeSantis out of there? We have to first, the people of Florida have to decide on their candidate. The one other thing about the DGA is like we don't really get involved in primaries. Um, but we are happy to be helpful to all the campaigns on the ground, and we are doing that. Um, once the people of Florida have decided who their candidate is, it is our job to make sure that they, the voters also know all of the ways in which DeSantis has failed them, which are many. It's like he's he's had a terrible record throughout the pandemic. You know, he's berating school children about masks, like he's threatening to defund schools that have protocols. Like it's been wild. Can we keep Laura Kelly in there in Kansas? I believe we can. I believe that Laura Kelly's brand is strong. She's very popular in Kansas. She's reducing food taxes, which you know puts a little bit more money in everybody's pocket, which we could all use right now. I think that she can win re-election. Uh, what's going on in Nevada with the incumbent out there, Governor Sisolak? Governor Sisolak's working hard. Um, as you may know, Nevada was one of the hardest hit places in the pandemic. Uh, obviously, like having to close the strip and having tourism grind to a halt was really awful. Um, but he is doing everything he can to make sure that they are, you know, having the greatest comeback that Nevadans are capable of. And I think, um, you know, his potential opposition on the Republican side are frankly a lot of people that the that the voters in Nevada have already decided to go against um, and have not elected. So I think he has a great record um, to show and he'll be able to win re-election. But Ohio, it will be tough. Ohio's moved further and further away from us. Can we bring it back this go around? Ohio's tough, um, but I will say, I think one of the things that we are watching there, like we are watching in a lot of states, is that DeWine has a primary. Um, more Republican governors are having uh, inter-party primary challenges uh, than ever before this year. So there is a potential. If he gets knocked out in that primary, like who knows what could happen? We've got some strong candidates there. So I think, you know, it could happen. What will it take to protect Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania? Trick question. Governor Wolf is termed out. That's right. <laughs> You're not going to trip me up, Bakari. <laughs> but <laughs> um, Attorney General Shapiro is very strong and he is working very hard. Um, and he does not have a like a um, competitive primary on his side. He's the only Democrat on the ticket, which is um, creating a lot of space while the Republicans fight it out for him to be able to really talk about his record as an attorney general and talk about what he will do for the people of Pennsylvania. And it reminds me, Pennsylvania, the landscape thereof, reminds me a lot of this next state, which is Wisconsin, because Wisconsin is key because we've got an incumbent to protect in a Senate race that I'm also watching, a lot like Pennsylvania, what are you seeing in Wisconsin with Governor Evers' race? 
You know, I think similar to Michigan, uh, without the death threats, uh, Wisconsin is always tough. And I think the Republicans really, you know, have taken the stance that Governor Evers is somehow like an accidental governor and that they can get Wisconsin back and it's on the wrong track. Um, But that's not what we are seeing. Uh, Obviously, like there have been a lot of fights. Voting rights is front and center in Wisconsin. Um, And he's got a very contentious legislature that he is really the brick wall, kind of holding it all together and being able to sustain his veto and keep that power. Last cycle was super helpful. Um, And we, you know, are, are grateful to our friends at the state legislative level for helping with that. But I I think that he also, you know, as a teacher understands education and a lot of these issues that are going to be front and center, but it will be a fight and it will be expensive. I'm going to let you get to that. And I got two more states and then you can help defray some of your costs, Wendy. Uh, I didn't know this. I mean, I didn't know this was a competitive state. It may not be competitive. I may just be talking outside of my neck. But Vermont, can we flip Vermont? I, I swear, I have never paid attention to the Vermont <laughs> governor's mansion. I forgot they had a governor in Vermont. So can we can we flip that? Um, Vermont is is tough. Like I think these those northeastern states, Vermont and um, New Hampshire, where they run every two years, it's really hard. Um, and Frankly, like the people on the ground view their governors as more moderate than I think I, I would view them as or than sort of the the general feeling is. Um, I think if we, you know, we can get a good candidate there, we can take a run at it. But it, it does feel a little bit harder than some of the others. Lastly, last but not least, Texas. <laughs> I, you know, I love me some Beto. I feel like Texas is always a flyer, but can Beto get it done this go round? You know, I, I think it's possible. Um, I am I am choosing to be optimistic. Beto comes with a lot of energy, the ability to really raise money. I think, um, I hope this is my transition to the pitch, but yes, uh, yes. <laughs> Texas is one of those bottomless pit states. Like it is very expensive. They're, they don't have... Um, the same rules around fundraising as some of the other states have. And he's running against an entrenched incumbent who, you know, I would think the people would be sick of when, you know, when I, I was turning on the heat the other day and I thought about all those people in Texas who were in their homes, freezing power bills. I mean, you would think that would be, you would think that would be the end of somebody. Right. But I would think so for me, that's enough. I don't need any more information. I've seen enough. Like, let's do it. So we'll see. I hope so. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. 
To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Uh, so how can listeners support the work that you do? We, we had a great conversation about a lot of those things and getting it done, the work that you do. What do you need and how can listeners support it? What we need is, first of all, we need votes. So anybody who lives in any of these states we're talking about, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Kansas, all of them, we need your support. Georgia, Texas, um, we need your support. We need you to look at what our candidates are doing, understand where they are coming from and, and the choice in front of you. Please give to their campaigns and support them. We also need your help at the DGA and I um, can make sure that Bakari's team has the link for us to, to give to the DGA. We can put it in the show notes. See, I yeah. listen to the podcast. Uh, we, will, we, will, we will put it definitely going in the show notes. And it's not <laughs> going to, you don't even have to search for it. We're just going to put the donate page in the, in the show notes. Make it easy. There you go. <laughs> I don't want them to get lost in the policy. Just go directly and click the link. That's right. <laughs> Click the link. And we are one of the great things about the DGA is that we can take contributions of all kinds. So if you want to give it personally, it, no amount is too big or too small. We do grassroots. We do major donor. We do corporate. All of it. You're welcome to give. Wendy, you know, I love you. When I run for office next time, she's going to be my my chief finance fundraising because she know where all the money is and where all the packages are buried. So thank you so much for coming on the Bakari Sellers podcast. It's been a great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. See you soon. Bye bye.